Well, this morning, uh, I am very excited for this new series. I say that at the beginning of every series, don't I? And yes, I do. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the most important part of you. It's not your hair. It's not your holy genes. Um, it's not anything you can do. Uh, we're going to be talking about your soul. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about arguably the most important part of us because it's eternal. And we're going to be talking about the question, is it well with my soul? And so this is going to be a great series to really do some self-checking and see where you're at as a follower of Christ and see how healthy your soul really is. So every person is born with a soul, and we tend to not really think about that very much. I think we see each other as living bodies and with minds and all of that, but we don't think much about the fact that we are a soul. And really, our soul is our mind. It's how we think. It's also our emotions that often come as a result of what we think. And it's also our will, the choices that we make in life. That kind of makes up, generally speaking, our soul. And lots and lots of things impact the wellness of our soul. The curse of living in this sinful world can have an effect upon our soul. Um, the fact that sometimes our body or our brain don't work quite right can have an impact on our soul. We might study, uh, suffer with depression. We might suffer with anxiety or other maladies of our, of our brain, physiological problems. Uh, this past week, you might have read about the great young pastor from Greg Laurie's church who struggled deeply with depression and was an advocate for dealing with depression. 30 years old, uh, took his own life this last week. And so we can tell that even when we know Jesus, even when we're in ministry and doing all the right things, sometimes the health of our soul, the wellness of our soul is still very much at risk in this world. So my soul, I'm going to talk a lot about me today and you can just listen in, okay? My soul is my eternal being, the eternal part of me. The Bible says that God has planted an awareness of heaven in every human soul. Everybody has an awareness that there's something more. That's why there's, I, I don't believe any true atheist. I don't believe there can be because God has planted the awareness of eternity in every soul. And that I truly believe personally that every soul at some level is longing for heaven is longing for Jesus, is longing for that face-to-face -face consummation of when we know God and we're known by God and we see Him as He is. I believe that every soul has a longing for intimacy with God. And so that's number one in your notes today, that we all long to know God and we all long to be known by God. And that's why you're here today, because you long to be known and you long to know. It's what every soul longs for. Now, we tend to try to feel, fill that feeling with everything else under the sun, don't we? We tend to fill it up, even, even with good things. But as we try to fill our soul with the things of the world, we call this idolatry. That we actually begin to worship the things of life because they bring us some small level of comfort, we think. So anything, even good things, can become an idol for me. And God has designed us to be fulfilled through great relationships and through doing the things that we do that we're good at. These can bring temporary joy on this planet, but the eternal soul is meant not to just be fulfilled, but it's meant to be filled. And only God can do that at the deepest levels. Only God can truly fill our soul. And to be filled comes from having intimacy 
intimacy with God, knowing Him and being known by Him. Now, when you think about this with me, you'll see that it makes sense. The soul was born out of an intimate moment with God. If you go back to creation, back to the very beginning, so intimacy with God is where the soul longs to return to. Does that make sense? What began in intimacy will end in intimacy. You know, when you look at creation, God spoke creation into existence. But with humans, he made it very personal. And the Bible says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, formed them, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man became a living soul because God brought to life, God breathed in the soul of man. So what an intimate beginning when you think about this, right? God forms us from the dust, very personal, like a potter. If there's any creatives in here with pottery or with art, you understand what it means to create or cooking or music, anything that you create. And it's very personal. I know that when I write a song, I don't want anybody messing with my song. Don't change my song. Even if, it's, even if you have a better idea, it's my song. You know, I don't want you messing with my lyrics. They mean something to me. So forming somebody like God did, like a potter forms his pot, very, very personal. But then he breathes. Then he breathes, his own breath. Now, how many of you know that breath can be good and breath can be bad, right? How many of you woke up with somebody in your bed this morning and you went, good morning? But this breath was holy. This breath was sacred. This breath was like nothing else we will ever, ever experience in our life. And in a sense, we still get to experience the breath of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. But this formation of the soul was very intimate. It was very personal. His breath gave us our soul. It brought to life the eternal part of us, our God awareness, the fact that we're made in His image. Imago Dei, beautiful term, being made in the image of God. So verse 27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So our soul, the living breath of God in us, as he brought us to life, longs to return to intimacy, oneness with God. Now we see this pictured in all of creation. One of my favorite pictures is the picture of the salmon. Anybody else love to fish? I love to fish. And I love the fact that salmon come back home because then you can catch them, right? But here's this fish who is, who is hatched up the Skagit River somewhere, up the Nooksack River, makes the journey out to the sea, does what they do out in the sea, and then one day they come back to the mouth of that river. And when it rains and the water comes down the river, they, they can sense that this is their river and that it's time to go back to where they began. Time to go back to their origin. And it's such a powerful picture to me of the soul of each one of us and how we long to return to our Heavenly Father. We came from intimacy. We return to intimacy. So intimacy with God begins for us when we receive Jesus Christ into our life. That's when we come back to life again. We're regenerated, right? Our soul... The ability to be born again comes to life by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We call it regeneration. And a part of that process is confession, it's repentance, it's receiving forgiveness, it's the healing of my soul, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of this results in intimacy with God. 
But he doesn't want us to stop at salvation. That's not where God wants our intimacy to stop. God wants us to grow in intimacy with him. David wrote of this in Psalm 63. He said, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Do you ever feel like life sometimes can be a parched and weary land where there is no water? Yeah, long for Jesus. He has the living water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory, your unfailing love. Now, that's what we long for. It's unfailing love. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I'll praise you as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. In other words, no matter how good life gets, I'm I'm never fully, fully filled. I I may be fulfilled with a good meal but never filled. I will praise you with songs of joy. This is David. Talked about him a few weeks ago when I talked about repentance. David, who we know tried to fill his soul with many other things like women, like fame, like sex. And he came to the place where he recognized what his soul really longed for. And he realized that he could not be filled by any of those things. He writes in Psalm 84, I long Yes, I faint. This is a warrior talking about fainting with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. As I have thought deeply about intimacy with God this week, I think about it a lot. Actually, I long for intimacy with God. What I thought about was identity, you know, that, that really I think what we're longing for is identity is to truly be known and to truly know him and to be accepted by him, even in our imperfection. Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what makes God different than everybody else? I mean, there's a lot that makes God different, but his unfailing love, right? That even in our imperfection, God still loves us and gives us identity as his own child. That's what John says in First John. And knowing I am his own child, even though I'm still not perfect today, fills my soul. Not just fulfills, but fills my soul. I am filled with the understanding that I am his child, even though he knows I'm imperfect. That is what fills me. My soul is filled by that understanding that I belong to the one who made me. Anybody else feel that way about God? That it just fills you when you understand at your deepest deepest levels of your soul that you belong to the one who made you. Even when you have a bad day, you belong to him. Secondly, my soul needs to reign and rest. I need to reign and rest. Not just intimacy, but I need to reign and I need to rest. I need to live in my divine design. We talk about that a lot here, that we are masterpieces. And that my soul is designed to reign and be productive because that's what God does. And I'm made in his image, and so are you. God said, verse 26, Let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. You are made like God. Okay? You're in his image. And what's his image? They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth. This is why guys go hunting in the fall. 
Because they are to reign over the wild animals of the earth. Subdue them. Bring them under dominion. Bring home the meat, right? Got to go reign over the wild animals. It's this thing in you and some women as well, I understand. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. To be well in your soul. From a human perspective, while we're on this planet, to be well in your soul means that your soul needs to govern something. Your soul needs to govern something. God made you to govern something, to be passionate about something, to be good at something, and to reach your potential in whatever that thing is. That God designed you, made you a masterpiece, and in Christ has plans for your life. And it probably has to do with something in your soul that is waiting to be released. Maybe it's been released for you. Producing goodness from something that you love to do. What is it that you love to do? What is it that your soul's passionate about? Is it possible that you could be fruitful in that area and not only bless yourself by that, not only govern something, but also bless your world? What would that be for you? What would that be for you? I'll tell you what it is for me, and and you're going to chuckle about this. I love to cook. I do. No chuckles. I love to cook. I reign over food. I take dominion over my smoker. You know, yesterday I made these smoked pork ribs and served them to my family. I love it. Yesterday I made chicken coconut curry soup. Yes. Soup season is here. Praise the Lord. I can make soup again and people will eat it. I am the soup maker. No soup for you. You know? And I love, I love making soup. But even more than making the soup, guess what I love more than that? I love when somebody eats the soup. Not just me. I love when somebody enjoys what I have brought forth from my soul. That's why they call it soul food. It comes from the inner parts of you. It's, it's love in a dish. It is. It, it, it so is. And when I make something that people love, it brings joy or benefits them. I love it. I love it. And that's called reigning. Your soul needs to reign. You know, some people reign over their gardens. Some people reign over sports. Some people reign over music, over working on a car engine. Some people restore things. Some people build things. Some people paint things. I could go on and on and on. Some people are healers. They're physicians or, or they're nurses or they're dentists. I mean, they're healers. And it's different for each one of us. But here's what I want to say. This is important from a human earthly perspective, temporal perspective, that your soul is the most well when you're giving what you're good at. That's when your soul is the most well. And it's especially satisfying when someone benefits from what you give. My my daughter loves to make cookies. I love to eat them. She reigns, I gains, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. So your soul needs to reign. Your soul needs to reign. We all need to be finding that thing that we love to do and that we're good at. And and you don't have to make money on it. You can do it for free. And let people enjoy the benefit of the fruit that you bring from your soul. But not only do you need to reign, your soul also needs to rest. Your soul needs to rest. This is a challenge in our culture. This is a huge challenge. It's hard to rest. It's hard to find quiet. It's hard to find solitude. We have to work at this. This does not come naturally anymore. The candle doesn't, you know, stop burning at 7 and and it gets dark out and we go to bed. No, everything is still lit up. 
How many of you pray for the lights to go out ever? You pray for electricity to go out. So you can have some quiet. You know, the world kind of stops, right? Kind of fun. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested. God rested. Now, when you think of God, do you think of somebody that might like to take a breather or somebody that might enjoy rest or somebody that that might even be a part of who they are in their innermost being? I mean, we don't know. I'm guessing that, that since God kind of created out of who he was, that rest is a part of who he is. It was important enough to make one of the seven days that we were to rest on the seventh day. And so God rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Even God rests. And I would say that if God finds it important enough to rest, then maybe we should find it important enough to rest. My soul is at its best when I take the time to rest. I believe that's absolutely true. What happens when we rest? We get rest ord. We get restored when we rest. I'm convinced that God gave us grandbabies so that we would slow down and rest. You know, yesterday we had Trilby for about four hours. This was actually on Friday here, but there's nothing like a moment like this to just press the pause button on life and say there's nothing more important than this moment. So we had Trilby for four hours yesterday, and she changes things, right? You sit on the floor and you play. I'm still addicted to work, so I had to leave the room a few times. I just couldn't do it. Sorry, honey. Um, And and go work a little bit. But my wife is on the floor, you know, and and with her granddaughter. And and we're with her. And we we do what we don't normally do when Trilby comes. We rest. We enjoy for hours. We're, We're enjoying the goodness of family, the fun of watching this little soul grow and change. And it's so restful. It's so restful. Those of you who are grandparents, you know that's the truth. Psalm 116.7 says, Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. Psalm 23.3, we know this well. He restores my soul. And so I want you to be thinking about the practical parts of a message like this because this helps your soul be well when you challenge yourself and discover ways that you can rest doesn't mean you have to go lay down in your bed and take a nap. But finding ways for your soul to rest. And some of these you may be aware of and others of these we need to grow in. That we don't always do what's best for our soul. And I would suggest that this pace that we live in, this frantic world that we live in, is not good for our soul. And so then we need to mitigate times of rest in our lives. So let let me give you a few things for me. Beauty restores my soul. Nothing like getting on a hike out in Mount Baker area, getting out in creation. I always feel well in my soul after I've spent time in creation that I know was made by a creator. You know? Nothing makes my soul rest like that. But there's also times like this that happen daily in my life. Time in prayer, just meditation, being in his presence, just being quiet for a little while before the Lord and with the Lord. Meditation on his word restores my soul because I take in truth that, that overcomes the lies of the enemy and even the lies of my own mind. 
Sometimes just sitting in silence. It's hard to do. It's, it's a habit that we have to restore in our life because we're so used to having everything at our fingertips like laptops and phones and iPads, television. And we haven't had cable for about two or three years in our house. And I said to my wife the other day, I said, I really miss football. I said, but it's worth it. It's worth it not to have that background noise on all the time in my life. Going on a run restores my soul. Endorphins are good for the soul. Did you know that? They are. Your body and soul are one. It's not like you have a soul and a body. No, they're, they work together. So the chemicals you produce by taking care of your body and doing the things you need to do helps to restore your soul. Exercise is good for your soul. Eating right is good for your soul. All of these things. We're not fragmented beings. We are integrated beings. And so when you abuse your body, your soul pays the price. And it's not well with your soul. And when you abuse your soul, then your body suffers. And your body can go off the deep end because you've abused your soul. So make time to rest and be restored in your soul. Find that thing that fills you. Make sure it's not sin. Okay? Sometimes we mistake sin for filling. And it may feel like it does for a short time, but you'll pay the price for sin. No, find good, healthy, created ways that God has given us to restore your soul. The third thing my soul needs is community. Community with believers. I need a place to love and a place to be loved. Anybody else feel that way? Man, isn't that worth every penny you spend on it? Isn't that worth every minute you give it? A place to love and a place to be loved. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. Now we know this was about... Uh, the first marriage. We know this was about a man and a woman that God you know, made the woman for the man. We know all this. But the principle holds true. The truth is we all need helpers in our life. We all need people to come alongside us and us to come along them. And here's what I believe. We need people we can trust with our story. And I just want to say you can't trust everybody with your story. But there are people that can be trusted with your story. And you need to find those people. And they're worth their weight in gold. And then you need to let them in on your story. And we call it community. People who know our story and don't judge us and don't reject us, but can listen and can enter in. People who simply accept us and then walk to wellness with us. They don't let us stay where we've been. They speak truth into our life. But they love us enough to accept us even though we haven't reached that perfection that we're all after. Even though our story may be PG-13 or maybe R, for some of us maybe even X. But these are people who will accept us, who will not judge us, and then will walk us to the path of restoration and wellness. You know, after church today, I'm going to be going to my weekly Seahawk party. I talk about this every year. This will be the ninth season we've been together, according to Bree Mayberry. Okay, ninth season. We've been getting together on Seahawk Sunday eating food, and just enjoying each other, just being in a place that is safe, where we know and where we are known. And, you know, we hardly even watch the game anymore. I'm I'm aware the game's on right now, I think, starting in a few minutes. Don't tell me the score. I don't want to know. We'll record it. I won't know what the score ended up till 4.30, okay? But here's the thing. Why do I go? After nine years, why do I still go? Why am I still apart? Because I'm known there. I'm accepted there. 
There's nothing expected of me there. I eat food. I bring food. They enjoy my food. I sit on the couch and I fall asleep nearly every week. These are people I trust enough to watch me sleep. You know what I'm saying with Facebook, social media? I feel at peace and at rest with these people. And it's simply because they've been working at knowing me and being known by me for nine years. And that could be any of you in the crowd. It's just that we've ended up in a Seahawk group together, and here we are nine years later. And people keep getting added to the group, you know? So I know there. I'm accepted there. I trust them. Tuesday night, same thing. This Tuesday night, we're going to kick off the fire. You're all invited. Uh, men are all invited, not women. No women. No girls. We'll have, you know, 80 to 90 guys. We've been doing this for years now. We'll gather in this room. This week, Dave Viss is going to cook us a phenomenal meal. And we're going to eat together. 6.30. Come out. Come out. Enjoy some good man fellowship. Uh, this week, as we're kicking off, we're going to have a testimony from Frank, Frank Kolkershow. He's going to talk about, you know, from mob to minister, from prison to pastor. It's going to be very inspiring and encouraging. And so I invite you guys to come on out. And then we'll sit around our tables. We'll pray for each other. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. But it's a great place to know and be known. It's a great place to just be a man and be accepted. Come on out. Enjoy the great community with some great believers. So let me finish up today. Those are just a few of the things. There's many more. Those are a few of the things that I've isolated to say this is what our soul needs. Now I want to talk just for a few minutes as I close about how does my soul become well? What are some things I could shoot at or target at that would help my soul be as well as it can possibly be? Uh, Living under the curse of sin, living under the pain of sometimes disappointment in life, and just allowing God to work in my soul. So I believe that, first of all, we need to be mindful. Like we listen to a message like this, we need to be mindful. We need to be aware that this is true. We need to be aware that there's stories playing in the background of our mind, background of our life. There's narratives being played in the background of our mind that we need to be aware of because we see life and we understand life through those narratives, through the story of our life. What's happened to us is now the filter that we see life through. Okay, so we need to be aware of that. That brings me to number one, that I need to change my thinking. I need to change my thinking. My soul becomes well when I change my thinking. Let me talk about that for a minute. All of us think things about ourselves. All of us believe things about ourselves. All of us see ourselves through life experiences and through what we've been told by people and by coaches and by peers I can remember being told some things that were painful for me. And I believed them. I can remember, I've told you this, one of the things that my dad said to me that I will never forget. I'm not going to say it again. I've said it too many times. Moving on. But it impacted my life up until I went through counseling and processed the whole thing. And so now as adults, we interpret situations and life through that grid. What we've believed about ourselves because of what people have said and what life has done. And this plays like a narrator in our mind. We're not aware of it, but it's in the background of our mind. And it confirms situations that we say, okay, I've felt this before. See, I really am a loser. See, people really don't like me. See, I really do talk too much. 
And so our narratives will confirm particularly the poor things that we believe about ourselves. How we felt loved or not loved as children. How we felt valued or not valued as children. We interpret life through this narrative. So everything in life becomes about the narrative that's playing in the background of our minds. We're shaped. Our lives are shaped by our stories. And our stories answer the questions, am I loved? Am I valuable? Do I have purpose? And most of the time, I would say that the narratives that we develop about ourselves are not entirely accurate. And that is why our souls are not well. That is why. That's the big reason why our souls are not well. And so we need to change what we believe and change what we think about ourselves. We need to repent from those narratives, those stories that we've built up about ourselves. And then we need to receive a new narrative. We have to replace our existing narrative with a new narrative. And that narrative needs to come from Jesus. Jesus is the one that has the narrative for our life that will make our soul well. That we are loved. That we have value. That we belong to him. That we have a purpose in our life. Jesus is the one that brings that new narrative to our life. But we are the ones who must receive it and must exchange it And really, truly must repent from the lies we've believed and put Jesus' narrative in place running in the background of our mind. That's what needs to happen for each one one of us. It says in Colossians 3, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Can you say real life with me? Real life. You have a real life. It's in Christ. It's hidden in Him. And you have to discover what that life in Christ means to you, the narrative of Christ. Okay? Your soul gets well when you change your thinking and adopt for your own soul what Jesus Christ thinks, believes, says about you. And that is true for all of us. He says the same things about all of us. And we need to find out what those are and replace the old tapes with his new words, his narrative. Okay? Brings us to number two. My soul gets well when I engage new practices. You've heard this saying before. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Now, any athletes in the room or any musicians in the room, this is just like in sports. To get better, to make gains, your soul needs discipline. Paul often compared the life of discipline with the Word of God in sports, okay? 1 Corinthians 9, he said, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. I discipline my soul like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So if you like to work out and you like to make gains in working out, you like to drop weight or you like to you know, take minutes off of your running times, you know that you have to change up your workout. You know, everybody knows this. Personal trainers know this. You can't do the same things all the time because you'll plateau. You'll reach a place where you won't grow anymore. And then as age catches up and injuries catch up, you'll actually begin to decline. And the same is true with the soul. If you plateau in your soul, 
you'll decline. It's like a fish in the river. If they don't swim up river, guess what direction they're going to go? Down river. Dead, usually. Or close to dead. So your soul needs you to engage new practices. And we call this spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Let me give you some ideas. Do something you haven't done before, spiritually speaking. Increase the weight on your barbell or your dumbbell. If you don't normally have quiet time in the morning, why don't you try that? For five minutes, start small, just a small increase. Five minutes, get up five minutes earlier. Read your Bible if you've not done that before. Just read your Bible. Just a couple of verses. Give that a go. If you don't usually pray, then spend a little bit of time of praying. If you've never journaled, try that. It's called processing. It's amazing what happens when you process your life. Here's some tougher ones. Practice solitude. Go out by yourself. Go on a walk somewhere. Get out in the woods. Practice fasting. It's even good for your body, they say. Intermittent fasting, okay? Or give serving a try. Serve somewhere. Give yourself away. It's a spiritual discipline. But whatever you do, train for godliness. You're training for your soul to become well. That's what you're doing. You're helping your soul become well. Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. It promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. Okay? Number three, my soul gets well when I connect in community. I've mentioned this one already, but it's so important that we do this. It's so important. And being pioneers of the great Pacific Northwest, we think we can make it on our own. And we might be able to make it, but our soul is not well. Our soul is not well when we're cut off from community. So the reality is this, that we're all in the kingdom now, and we're in the kingdom of a God who loves and cares for you, and we're in the kingdom of a God who wants us to love and care for others and wants us to be loved and cared for. So we need to connect in this kingdom. So I mentioned my Seahawks group. I mentioned my fire group. Both I love dearly. Last Monday night I started a new group. It's called Freedom Session. I can't say anything about it. It's confidential. But there are nine nine men in my group. We're on a 28-week journey to process life together. Some of you men are saying right now, I'd rather be dead than processing life with some other men. I get it. I understand. I have felt that way. But I'm going to tell you, as a counselor and as somebody who's been through this process, I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. Processing the pain of your past is the best way I know to become well in your soul. Without processing the pain of your past, you will limp through life. You will not be able to give what God has designed you to give. You'll hold back. And so it's really, really good for us at some level, even if it's just another friend, that you get together with another dude and you say, man, let me tell you what I went through when I was seven. And share on that level and then be able to pray together. You know, we have freedom session. We have restoring the foundations. We have some great opportunities to get well in our soul. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. I'm so encouraged by the fire. I tell you, I am. Even if I didn't lead the fire, I would go to the fire. Because I'm encouraged when men come and begin to share and open up around the table. And we get to pray for each other. It's just very encouraging. So connecting in community encourages your soul. It helps to make your soul 
well. When you share your biggest mistakes, you let people know the real you. You let a, 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 you know, a table of eight guys know the real you. And we don't, it doesn't come out like vomit all at once. You know, it takes time. You build trust. But one day you'll share something significant. You'll share something significant. And here's the thing, and I mentioned this already, that when men know the real you and they still say, I accept you, and they still say, I love you, I'm going to pray for you, as men do that, your soul becomes well. That's what happens. Because Why? Because when we don't do that, we live in shame, we live in hiding, we live with nobody knowing our secrets. And when we share our secrets... And men still say, I love you. In the love of Christ, I'm your brother. I've got my own problems. It makes our soul well. We need to be known and accepted, and we find that in community. Finally, number four, last one today, my soul gets well when I receive the Spirit's help. When I receive the Spirit's help. Coming to the place, coming to the place where I really do believe, no matter what happens in my life, I really do believe that God is sovereign. He has allowed whatever it is to happen. I still believe he's in control. And I believe that God is going to bring some good to somebody out of what it is that I'm facing at this moment in my life. That's what it means to me to receive the Spirit's help, to let him guide me into that truth. And you see, when you do that, your soul becomes more free from anxiety and fear. Because, you know, if you don't do that, then nobody's in charge. Because you don't have control over your life. Are you kidding me? You think you have control over your life? There's aspects you might. But things happen you have no control over. So that's where the fear and anxiety comes from. When you receive the Spirit's help and you believe that God is sovereign and that He's allowed what He's allowed and so He knows about it, well, then it stands to reason that He's going to get you through it. Like Paul said, your power is made perfect in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient for me. That is what it means to receive the Spirit's help and trust that God is sovereign. And it's a huge wellness factor, trusting that God is in charge. When I trust that God is allowing my circumstances and at work in my circumstances, then I believe that He's going to make something good come out of my circumstances, and then my soul can rest better than it did before. I will tell you, I still wake up anxious. But as I process with the Lord every morning, He removes that from my heart and I live relatively fear-free because I believe in the sovereignty of God over my life let me finish with this passage the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness we don't know what God wants us to pray for the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So this morning I want to ask you as the worship team comes, is it well with your soul? Are you trusting the good God with your soul? Are you trusting Jesus' narrative to be more accurate than your own narrative? Are you willing to receive what he thinks and believes and says about you and replace what you've believed about yourself and allow him to become the central story of your life? That is where our souls become well.
Would you stand with me this morning? Father, this morning we come thinking about this beautiful personhood each of us have called our soul. And Lord, first of all, thank you for bringing us to life. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you that we have connection with you through our soul because of Jesus Christ. We belong to you. We are your children. And we speak that over our own soul today. We say, God, Heavenly Father, I belong to you. I am yours. You are mine. So, Lord, I just pray that over these next several weeks, we will receive all that you want us to receive to make our soul as well as it can be. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.